أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم I seek refuge with Allah from the accursed Satan in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Naib Amir Saab, missionaries, members of the Jamaat and guests of the promised Messiah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon all of you. My name is Ronald Abdurrahim Hubs. I've been part of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community for 18 years. My task this afternoon is to capture the comprehensive teaching and spirit of a single verse of the Holy Quran. The verse itself is a commandment. The English translation of this verse reads, truly Allah enjoins absolute justice, the doing of good to others and giving like kindred and forbids indecency and manifest evil and wrongful transgression. He admonishes you that you may take heed. If we break this verse down, we're first commanded to act with adl, is the Arabic, which is translated as absolute justice. Doing isan, which means goodness or kindness, and then something the Quran calls do korba, which can be explained as the type of love or selfless giving that a person does with his near relatives. Then the last half of the verse commands us to stay away from indecency, manifest evil, and wrongful transgression against others. This verse is considered one of the most comprehensive of the Holy Quran and serves as a foundational guidance of faith in us understanding and practicing Islam in its truest spirit. If fully understood, this single verse draws us near to God and guides us in establishing peace within ourselves and with those around us. It also protects us from extreme and fanatical interpretations and actions. As we are in a battle for the soul of Islam in these days, verses like this one deserve special attention. They define Islam. It should also be mentioned that this verse does not only call Muslims to these principles, all of humankind, all of us, are called to these three principles of creation and life. The first principle we're called to in the verse is justice. Justice is an absolute minimum requirement for peaceful human relations. Justice covers virtually every realm of human activity, economic, racial, social, environmental. Without it, there can be no peace. So if we truly want peace, we must study and understand justice. The Quran mentions justice repeatedly throughout its entire text, both directly and indirectly. And through these passages, we're taught comprehensive and powerful teachings. The Quran commands us, O ye who believe, be strict in observing justice and be witnesses for Allah, even though it be against yourselves or against parents and kindred, whether they be rich or poor, Allah is more regardful of them than you are. Therefore, follow not low desires so that you may be able to act equitably. And if you conceal the truth or evade it, then remember that Allah is well aware of what you do. So here we're told that even if testimony goes against our own selves or against those whom we most love, we should always be strict in telling the truth and not acting from selfish desires. 
Justice is absolute. There is no room for favoritism nor tribalism in Islam. In another passage, we're told, O ye who believe, be steadfast in the cause of Allah, bearing witness in equity, and let not a people's hostility incite you to act otherwise than with justice. Be always just, that is nearer to righteousness, and fear Allah. Surely Allah is well aware of what you do. In this verse, we're told that even with those who have made themselves our enemies and shown hatred to us, still we must be fair and always just. Anything else is transgression, and God hates transgression. The Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, himself embodied the highest level of justice. As the elected ruler of Medina, he established the Charter of Medina, which created the first democratic city-state in world history. 800 years before the Magna Carta, this charter clearly established religious freedom and autonomy for all of its citizens, whether they be Jews, Christians, non-Muslim Arabs, or Muslims. Everyone was free to rule themselves as they saw fit, but could come to the Prophet Muhammad as governor if they had a dispute among themselves. He would rule as an impartial judge by whatever law they deemed fit. The Charter also made it clear that any Muslim guilty of transgression against non-Muslims would be punishable under the law. Muslims were in no way considered above anyone else. Article 13 of the Charter states that the believers would collectively, all together, be against anyone spreading injustice, crime, or corruption, even if it be one of their own sons. Article 15 of the Charter states, the security of God is equal for all groups. Article 36 of the Charter, non-Muslims and Muslims will take up arms against the enemy of the Ummah and will share the cost of war. Muslims and non-Muslims are sincere friends with honorable dealings and no treachery. This last article clearly, clearly establishes goodwill and cooperation between Muslims and non-Muslims and shows that they defend each other. Further, the term Ummah which is generally thought by most to refer only to the collective body of Muslims. But here we see the Prophet Muhammad used the term Ummah to refer to all people in Medina, regardless of their religious beliefs. So by Islamic standards, all people are one community. There's nothing else like the charter in the history of the world up till modern times. It's adherence to the principles of absolute justice above all tribal, and religious affiliation is unparalleled. In modern history and government, we have seen great improvements in many regards when it comes to justice. Our US Constitution served as a revolutionary and landmark document and framework by which to build a just nation. Like the Charter of Medina, it called for absolute justice and the protection of people's rights. In many regards, the US Constitution was and is very much in line with Islamic teaching. And by Islamic teaching, let me be clear, I mean the teachings that are in line with divine principles that please God. And in this way, God has blessed this nation far above many other nations. But we also know that there are some painful exceptions of injustice in our history. One of those is our history of slavery and its ongoing repercussions. Because of a slave trade that went on for centuries, 
concessions were made in our Constitution that in identified enslaved Africans as just three-fifths of a human being. This was a great wrong. To appease southern slaveholding states, the issue of slavery was kicked down the road for someone else to deal with. It would take almost another century and a bloody war before we even began to sort out the issue. On one side were Christian abolitionists using their faith and its teachings to fight for what they considered a, against a great immorality and evil. On the other side were Christian southern slaveholders who twisted that same faith to rationalize a wicked institution that denigrated and treated millions of human beings like animals, traumatizing and decimating an entire race for generations. It's amazing to see how two different Christian groups supposedly following the same book came up with such wildly different interpretations. And this biased reading of scripture is the same phenomenon that we now see in Islam today. And now, even another 150 years after that civil war, our nation is still dealing with those injustices. Even with slavery ending, there were discriminatory and subjugative laws that lasted for another century. And despite a civil rights movement, movement and reform that finally happened some 50 years ago, there are still traces of these transgressions in American institutions, economics, attitudes, and daily life. Now, some people might today hold a just-get-over-it attitude about this situation, but this stunts any real understanding and insight that's necessary to right those wrongs and to make ours a better society. If we look at the long history of this situation, millions were kidnapped, taken across an ocean, and then continually ripped away from their spouses and children over and over, generation after generation. Imagine that. And then even when supposedly freed, African-Americans lived as second-class citizens knowing that they had no real protection or justice under law enforcement, nor even from their own government. This was the state of African-Americans for centuries up until just a couple of generations ago. In some cases, some of these problems still remain. And with the toxic political rhetoric and division in this country, we start to see more and more that far too many people in our nation still hold disgusting views on race. This is obviously a longer discussion and requires sincere thought and prayer and action. But I would submit that one of the main elements needed to move forward is to first clearly and sincerely acknowledge and understand what has happened. It can only help us see more clearly and more intelligently, and there's no shame in admitting that there were wrongs and that problems still remain. There's only shame in ignoring those problems and not fixing them. Beyond this, in resonance with the Quranic verse under discussion, kindness and brotherhood are needed. Understanding each other and respecting each other is at the core of any solution. It should also be said that militancy and resentment does not help those who are wronged. It only leads to further bitterness and misunderstanding. It lends to more frustration and even perpetuates and attracts more grief into a person's life. It is a law that we attract what is deep in our hearts. If that's pain and an expectation of unfairness, we will only attract more pain and more unfairness. This same law applies to the Muslims too. 
Have the Muslims been wronged, especially over the past several decades? No doubt, they have. The atrocities committed by Western Christian nations over the past few decades have been nothing short of a holocaust. Between the first Gulf War and the long, ongoing downward spiral of the second, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of innocent civilians have lost their lives, all because of perceived threats, global power plays, and imaginary weapons of mass destruction that were never found. Infrastructures were obliterated, economies destroyed, jobs, education, and hope gone. Women and children were killed. Sanctions were imposed that led to unimaginable suffering. An entire region was destabilized and plunged into a hell on earth. Can we really argue that this was justice? I know it's far-fetched and even dreadful to consider, but imagine for a moment that Pennsylvania was attacked by an outside nation. Imagine the state's infrastructure and water treatment were destroyed, its industry and economy frozen. Imagine hundreds of thousands of civilians, Pennsylvanians, lifelong neighbors, being killed by bombing raids, and millions more struggling on with dy dysentery and disease because water sanitation chemicals were banned under sanctions. Think of how it would be if Pennsylvania was without a power grid for months or in some places for years. What do we think would be the outcome of this? I know Pennsylvania is filled with many decent and loving people of faith and other people of good conscience, but do we really think that everyone would remain perfectly patient and peaceful? Or would some of them want revenge and would they begin to interpret their religion through a prism of grief and rage? Do we honestly think that nothing like Al-Qaeda or ISIS wouldn't grow here? This is essentially what has happened in a large stretch of the Muslim world over the past few decades. And this became the soil in which rage, desperation, and hopelessness fermented and sprouted the fanatics and the terrorists that we see today. So let us be intellectually honest. Let's not associate this madness with Islam. Just like we don't associate the Lord's Resistance Army with Christianity or conflate U.S. foreign policy at times with the true teachings of Jesus Christ, let us all be fair and just in our dialogue. If given the chance, you will find that Muslims are your best and most sincere allies in fighting terrorism and extremism. You will find Amity Muslims your loving and loyal neighbors. And let us remember that more Muslims by far have died at the hands of terror and ISIS than anyone else, and that over a thousand Muslim Iraqi soldiers just gave their lives to take back Mosul from ISIS. And also let me be clear, this isn't about assigning blame on anyone, far from it. The Muslims themselves, they've been their own worst enemies for, for centuries. Centuries ago, just as the Prophet Muhammad foretold, they fell from their heights because of their own corruption and greed. They exchanged short-term gains, wealth, and power for the curses and decline that befell them. The Prophet foretold that the hearts of Muslims would become perverse and they would treat the Quran like a thing forgotten and that their religious leaders would become the worst creatures under the canopy of heaven. And this is exactly what happened. Yes, global engineering has destroyed millions of homes and created a migrant crisis, but we have also seen videos of Muslim migrant youth acting despicably and dishonoring the name of Islam and the image of the religion. As Muslims of conscience, I can assure you 
that our hearts break and we cringe to see this. So to Muslims, I say, stop blaming others. These catastrophes could have only happened and did only happen because Muslims weren't practicing Islam. Allah is not cruel. He's not blind, nor is he powerless. He sees. He comes to the aid of those who are righteous. He promises that he protects the righteous from the evil plots of their enemies. If tribulation is not ending and instead going on and on, we as Muslims have to look in the mirror. The finger pointing on all sides has to stop. We need a higher level of thinking and dialogue. And in America too, just like there's a battle for the soul of Islam, there's currently a battle for the soul of America. We've seen political discourse in this country plunge into darkness in our great nation. On both sides, neither side can claim any kind of moral superiority. On all sides, there is meanness and injustice and in the rhetoric. And this is really what this Quran verse is calling us towards, to think of others, to treat them with kindness and respect and the love that we ourselves want to be treated with. Many critics of Islam have done their best to paint Islam as a harsh religion of conquest with a brutal and unloving God, but they read the Quran with the same superficiality and personal agenda that ISIS and Al-Qaeda do. They only look to the Quran to prove their own warped ideas. They miss all of those beautiful teachings in between, cherry-picking verses out of context, proving nothing but the evil in their own hearts. If we actually study the Holy Quran, Allah is described first and foremost as the most gracious, ever merciful. These are his two main attributes that are mentioned repeatedly throughout the Quran, virtually on every single page of the book. And this is to remind Muslims of the main two attributes of their God and their religion, grace and mercy. In the Quran, Allah is called the compassionate. He is called al-wadud, the most loving. He is the forgiver of sins. He is the most kind. He is the most appreciating. He is the loving friend and protector. He makes it clear that he wrongs not anyone, even the tiniest bit. It is only people's own hands that bring misery and gain. I'm sorry, misery and pain. He promises that those who truly turn to him will be given guidance and protection and be brought out from terrible circumstances. We're told never to despair or to give up on God's mercy, that though it may seem like things are bleak or that a God is not listening, he is always there. He hears supplications and prayers. The Prophet Muhammad taught, Allah is kind. He loves kindness in all matters. He said, kindness is a mark of faith, and whoever is not kind has no faith. And be merciful to those on the earth, and the one above the heavens will have mercy on you. So what if we actually implemented these principles into our daily lives? What if instead of arguing, attacking, trying to one-up each other, what if we showed kindness to someone that we disagreed with? What if we first sought to understand them before seeking to be understood ourselves? As the Prophet Muhammad taught, what if we wanted for others what we wanted for ourselves? No one likes to be attacked, accused, or ridiculed. If we are really believers, whether that means Christians, Jews, Muslims, or just people of decency and conscience, can we not agree to this basic principle, to this golden rule? 
If we don't, it's frightening to think where our nation and our world is going in the near future. Kindness has to be our way going forward. And if we face someone who will not respond to kindness, we say peace and we pray for them. But we cannot sink to unkindness or injustice ourselves. Satan loves this, and it only adds fuel to the fire and makes us partners in the problem. The last and highest level that we're called to in this beautiful verse of the Holy Quran is actually loving one another like we love our own close family members. The kind of love that springs forth from the heart spontaneously and it seeks nothing in return. That is the level of consciousness that enabled the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to forgive those who treated him with disgusting insults, abuses and attacks to those who lied about him, to those who stoned him, soaking his clothes and sandals with blood, those who tortured and killed his companions, those who murdered his daughter and his unborn grandchild. Out of love, he forgave them all. It could only be itai do kurba, that love that Allah put in his heart for all of humanity like a mother has for a child, that could have powered his perseverance and softened his heart against such cruelty and evil. In the end, the greatest realm of influence we have is over ourselves. Yes, we can speak up against this and we can protest against that, but far more powerful is it to look deep within ourselves and transform what is in our own hearts. This is how we win those battles for the soul of Islam and the soul of America. This is how we spread light and dispel darkness. We start within ourselves. In the Holy Quran, Allah says that he changes not a people's condition until they change that which is in their hearts. Let us begin there. We have to remove anger, frustration, fear, arrogance, pain, and any other evil from our hearts. We have to work to become sources of peace ourselves. We have to look at our own practice of justice, kindness, and love. We have to respond to evil with good. Let us temper whatever beliefs we hold with these principles of justice, respect, kindness, and love. From there, we can pretty much work anything out. Politics, religion, race, whatever. Whatever the differences, let these principles be where we meet. These principles are at the core of all of our belief systems. Let us live by them. I will finish by saying this. One who travels this path that we're talking about and follows these divine principles with all of his or her heart, they can never be injured. They can never truly lose anything. They become a force for good, an agent of light. They will be blessed and protected and guided. And even if they appear to be harmed to our eyes, we know that they are never truly harmed as their affairs are in the hands of one who is most just most kind, most loving, who knows all, and who gives everyone their just rewards. May Allah bless and guide us all. Assalamu alaikum.